Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside my good friend, Justin Garcia, of course. You can hear him on the Bucks Radio Network. Now that everything is back up and running, they're broadcasting the games from Fiserv Forum. We haven't caught up with Justin since the start of this series. We're going to go through basically a bunch of different things uh, where the Bucks are at so far in this series, from adjustments to rotations to Brooke Lopez. We're going to talk about... His offensive positioning on the court, I think it's really interesting the Bucks have done, what the Bucks have done with Brook Lopez so far in the bubble. But Justin, first of all, we've got to send our condolences out to uh, Sixers fans. After they won the Christmas Day Championship in 2019, I don't think that any Sixers fan would have believed they were getting swept in the first round. What a tragic ending to a terrible season. Um, so, how... <laughs> How differently do you think that series goes if Philadelphia was healthy, if Ben Simmons played? Now, I, I still don't think they beat Boston. And uh, keep in mind, I was one of those who unfortunately said uh, heading into the bubble, the Sixers were the team I was most concerned with. But, yeah. you know, just watching that series, even if they have Ben Simmons, maybe it goes five. Maybe at the absolute most they could somehow win two games. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a – I guess a stark reminder that life comes at you fast. And, you know, we think about where this team goes from here. And we all are assuming Brett Brown's uh, tenure with the team is, is probably coming to an end soon here. But, you know, I'm sure you've gotten the same questions that people ask, what do you think they do? Do they blow it up? I just don't know how they can. That when you look at, what, uh, three years, two Three years from now, the Sixers are one of four teams that still have more than $100 million that they've already committed to. Those four teams, the Sixers, the Rockets, the Nets, and the Warriors, and it's not even close. I mean, the Sixers have $140 million basically on the books already in the 2022-23 season. Closest team is the Rockets at $113 million. So it's by a wide margin. I mean, it, their only chance of blowing things up is – if they actually decide they're going to move one of the two between Embiid and Ben Simmons. And by all indications, they're just not willing to do that. I think all things considered, if the Sixers were healthy, I did think that they were a terrible matchup for the Celtics. Obviously Embiid, uh, but he had to do it all himself. Ben Simmons probably would have defended Jason Tatum. I think that changes things a little bit. He's obviously an all-NBA caliber defender. So I, I think it would have been competitive. Most of the season, I thought the Sixers could actually beat the Celtics. So... I'm not sure. We'll never know. I don't know what they're going to do moving forward. I think priority number one is move Horford and Tobias Harris however you can. I don't know how you do it, but you find out a way to do that. But ultimately, we're not too worried about the Sixers. We're talking about the Bucks, And Vucevic has been an interesting cover for Milwaukee in this series. I think it's certainly something to watch moving forward. We've spoke about the fact that he's a really unique player with a really good 
post-up game, and then also a, an ability to shoot the jump shot. I think we saw the the number one adjustment from Bud defensively at the start of game two. And I, I will just say, you know, I know the Bucks were, were terrible in game one. Basically, in every single facet of the game, they were beaten. Uh, they got their asses kicked, as Wesley Matthews said. But I, as far as adjustments for Bud, I, it's kind of... It's kind of weird because I think that this is the type of series that a Milwaukee Bucks team would like to go in and say, well, we're probably not going to have to make any adjustments because we're probably just going to beat this team. I think mm-hmm. what we saw in game one forced an adjustment. The most notable change was Eric Bledsoe uh, defending Mark Fools from the half court, also going over screens. Uh, Frank spoke about this a little bit the other day and also Stan Van Gundy, if you're watching on TNT, was talking about it yesterday where the, or in game three, I should say, where the, the pick-and-roll coverage, Bledsoe has been peeling back a little bit. So he'll get over the screen on Markel Fultz, uh, get the back of Fultz, and then drop back uh, to yeah. Vucevic to protect the pop. This is something that we've seen the Bucks do a little bit in the past. Bledsoe is such a smart defender. He's actually created a lot of deflections and steals in this scenario as well. <clears throat> it's a surprising coverage on Markel Fultz because what they did in game one is go way under the screen, which is pretty much an NBA-wide coverage for Markel Fultz because if he's going to shoot that three, then go for it. But by going over the screen, you force Fultz to make a decision. It's just been a minor adjustment, but it's kind of been nice to see that they've been willing to try some different things with a threat like Vucevic. Yeah, and you know, I think it's it's kind of... I guess it was good to see because we heard, you know, basically what we expected after game one where whether it was Bud or uh, any of the players that we got to talk to after the game, the message was the same in that. And it was probably frustrating to some people to hear, especially after seeing the Bucks lose a game, you definitely did not expect them to, but the message being our biggest adjustment is just to play better. That <laughs> if we play better, we're going to beat this team. And, you know, you hear that after seeing the team lose by double digits to the eighth seed. And I'm sure it's not what you want to hear as a fan, but you know, in hindsight, and we talked about this uh, initially after that game, and I talked about it with Ted and with uh, Dennis Newman, who's the radio voice of the magic and that, you know, it's one of these games that I think people are oftentimes frustrated by because a lot of these losses that the Bucks have had, and this one's certainly no different, this one wasn't so much an outlier, but you can point to basically everything went the way of the opponent and nothing went the way of the Bucks. We've seen, we seem to have seen that a lot this season. And you can point to it and say, look, the Magic played about as good a game as they're going to play at all this year, and the Bucks did not play well. So that's a big reason why. So there's a lot of credence to Bud saying, all we have to do is play better. Um, I expected that was going to be it. So to see the minor adjustments, I think, was a good thing. And, you know, you do wonder, um, maybe we're just grasping at straws here, but whether or not it was a good thing, maybe it was a good thing to lose that game to the Magic because that seemed to, uh, while, you know, the better results came in game three and not so much two, it still seemed to do its job of uh, jolting these guys and kind of waking them up and saying, okay, it counts for real now. We can't go through the motions. And I would much rather have that happen to the Magic than have that happen to the Miami Heat in round two when, you know, all of a sudden now they just have to win three more out of the next uh, six games versus an Orlando team who, yeah, it's disappointing you gave up a game and certainly in the fashion you did. But let's be honest, we all expect the Bucks to win the next two games and they probably will. So maybe it was a good thing, but 
I think it was good that, you know, the message from Bud of we just have to play better, and we did see that, but that was coupled with some of those minor adjustments uh, that you pointed to. And, you know, full disclosure too, so their um, uh, shoot-around and their media availability today, um, I hopped on and I did want to ask Bud, but I had to step away during Bud's session, and by the time I came back, they were done. But I did want to ask him about Vucevic specifically in that, what we've seen from him the last two games, I mean, he was lights out in game one. He's still a very big game in game two. And, and then game three, obviously the big drop off for him, but we've seen a little bit of progression for how the Bucks have defended him throughout this series. How much of that has to do with that adjustment and how much of it does he think is just, you know, basically Vooch falling back to earth a little bit mm-hmm. and cooling off from how hot he was in game one. Okay, Justin, I want to now tell you and our listeners a little bit about our friends over at CBDMD. And I got to tell you, after game one, if your anxiety was a little bit up, you're feeling a little bit stressed out, maybe CBDMD might be able to help you guys out during the postseason because it doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair Everyone needs the support to make it through the day. Luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets a little bit chaotic. They have CBD Freeze with menthol and then CBD Recover, two products that can help you relax. And to make it even easier to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else, CBDMD has to offer. They're offering our listeners 25% off your next order when you use the promo code NDA at checkout. Once again, that's cbdmd.com, promo code NBA. You get 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Yeah, it's a good point you make. I, I spent some time this morning looking at the shot profile for Vucevic just to see if there was any real trend in uh, the amount of open shots he was getting, those, those types of looks. And, you know, funnily enough, not really. I mean, if you look at his field goal attempts from game three, uh, he had nine field goal attempts that qualify as wide open, which NBA.com specifies that as six feet of space between uh, him and the defender. So nine wide open shots. Seven of those, though, came behind the three-point line. Now, Vrutovic is an okay three-point shooter. He was 33% on the season. He was certainly uh, knocking down a lot more of those. And I think if you give him wide open shots and you have to be prepared that he's going to knock them down. So only one for seven on wide open threes for Vucevic in game three. So it's something to watch moving forward, but I don't expect the coverage to change in a big way at the three point line because the buck, uh, the magic are a terrible three point shooting team. And despite the fact they hit 19 yesterday, the bucks will take their chances that if that's the only area they're scoring in, which was, you could almost say it was the case. I mean, it was a high percentage of their points yesterday. Then the Bucs are going to back themselves in to beat this team. Now, is that a concern moving forward against other teams? Yes, and that'll be something that I'm sure we're going to continue to talk about. But the biggest number that stood out for me was in game one and two, Vucevic was 61.5% on tightly contested shots. That's with a defender within two feet of, of Vucevic, 61.5%. The guy was just out of his mind in game one and two. And I'm sure... You know, particularly after game two, the Bucks looked at that and did feel that he was going to have that coming down to earth moment. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He and he did. Twenty points in game three was certainly a good sign for the Bucks. 
I wanted to talk a little bit about Brooke Lopez today because I mentioned this a little bit uh, last week on the pod that there was something of a trend to watch moving forward. And admittedly, I also wanted to ask Bud about this. So I'm going to try and do it pregame before game four. Uh, they didn't get around to me on the on the Zoom call. It's, it's a little bit tough because basically what it is is there's a Zoom call. There's a bunch of reporters. Now that's the playoffs, there's more national reporters. So everyone gets one question basically. So they didn't get around to me to ask this post-game after game three. But Brook Lopez so far in the playoffs, 13.7 points per game, 37.5% from three, 73% on two-pointers. He's shooting so far. He's been a force in there. But overall, in the bubble, he's shooting 27 of his threes from above the break, 29 from the corner. That's overall attempts. So over 50% of his three-point attempts have come from the corners. Prior to the break, 19% of his 284 attempts came from uh, the corner. So to me, and this is something that, again, I will ask Bud about pregame, I feel that the Bucks have made a definitive move and a definitive change with the positioning of Brook Lopez on the floor when they're running their offense, particularly their half-court <coughs> offense. And I, I think that this is something that they may have looked at over the break and said, we're going to find ways to get Brook Lopez a little bit more involved here. And this is certainly one way they've been doing it. He's in the corner. He's, he's close to be able to post up. So he's either going to post up or he could move to the short corner and knock down the three for the drive and kick game. This has been a big change. Yeah, it's it's funny you bring that up because I was looking, uh, I think it was before, yes, Saturday's game, uh, at, at some of their shooting splits. And, um, you know, we know the corner three, it, that's, it, it's never really been the Bucks thing, especially under right. Bud here. But um, I, just going by the eyeball test, I remember feeling like, you know, I'm sure I'm going to be proven wrong here. But it feels like the only guys I've seen in the playoffs and really for most of these restart games take corner threes are Brooke and, uh, to a lesser extent, Kyle Korver. And it, it seems like that's it. But, but with Brooke, it's been so noticeable that, you know, we think about throughout the season, and obviously those numbers dictate it, but, um, you know, you think about seeing Brooke Lopez take threes, it's those above the break that we think about the really long threes that he's taking and, you know, just going through memory, how many corner three attempts of Brooke Lopez can you remember? That it, it seems really seldom that, you know, I do wonder, as you brought up, if this was something basically uh, that they spotted something and also, you know, just because of the distance and knowing where Brooke was coming into the restart game, maybe this is something they viewed that can kickstart him and get him going and uh, increase those three-point shooting percentages to the level we've seen here in these – uh, what he, I think he's played uh, nine now between the seeding games and the playoff games that maybe this is something that they viewed as we can probably get him going here if we get him some of those looks from the corner and those start to fall and then eventually he branches off and takes some more of those but it, I yeah it's been very striking to see the split of where his three-point attempts have come from so I think it's interesting when you look at his points and, and points total is such a basic number to look at but you pointed to the nine games he's played so far down in Disney. He's had four 20-plus point games out of nine. He only had three 20-plus point games out of 61 regular season games prior to the break. So uh, whether or not this has been due to uh, different circumstances with different lineups that were played during the seeding games, he got more opportunity, maybe maybe that's, that's what's contributed to this. But it does feel like there's been a significant effort to get him the ball offensively. And I do wonder... 
if again, I'm trying to project what I would be thinking if I was analysing this team. It's something we've spoke about so much, Chris Milton being the second option. I think that the reason why, and I'm as big a fan of Chris Milton as anyone, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that, but I, I think the scary thing about having a, an isolation scorer, a tough shot scorer, a jump shooter as your second option, like Chris Milton, is the fact that the shots that he takes are going to lend themselves to him being in a slump from time to time because they're very, very difficult. It's what makes him a great player because the shots he can make are so rare that players around the league often don't take them and don't certainly score efficiently from those areas like he does. But I think it was absolutely critical for this team to figure out, okay, if Chris is having a bad night, let's say game two, for example, and yes, it's only Orlando, but if he's having a bad night, who can we rely on to score? Who's going to score? Brook Lopez had 20 points. So I, I think the Bucks need Brook Lopez on certain nights to be a number two option. And I, I think that they've, they've identified that. I think Eric Bledsoe is another guy at times that's going to have to step in and play that role as well. I just think when I look at the construction of the Bucks roster, having those four guys and saying, okay, well, we can't just always rely on Chris to, to get us 25 points a night. He's going to be guarded uh, to a different level to what he has in the regular season. I've got full confidence that he's still going to put up a, a healthy point total by the end of the postseason. But you've got Brook Lopez there, and you haven't used him offensively for the last two years basically at all. Uh, it's worth investigating. Yeah, and uh, going into the playoffs, I was um, you know, pretty adamant that if well, I shouldn't say going well, yeah, going into the playoffs. Once we saw what we did in those six seeding games from Brook, in that look, uh, we have spent time, and I'm pretty sure you and I have kicked this around too, discussing who's going to be that X factor for the team in the playoffs. And you know, one of the most important things for this team is going to be the bench, and who's the guy that can hit a shot when you need it. That we think back to the shots that didn't fall for Nico Miritich last year. Well. Who's going to be the guy this year that hits that? Is it Kyle Korver? Is it George Hill again? Is it Pat Connaughton? That that could ultimately be what um, is the undoing for this team in the postseason. And once you start to see Brooke start to uh, shoot at the level he was from the outside and the 20-point games start to pile up and what 27 attempts he had against the Mavs, I think it was, um, I remember thinking and saying on the pregame and on the postgame shows as well that, you know, finding that guy, the situational role guy that can come in and knock down a shot is still going to be very important for this team. But if Brooke Lopez plays like this consistently, then, you know, your top three of Giannis and Chris and Brooke, if he's playing like this, they're going to be tough to beat. And he doesn't have to score 20 a night, but if he can give you, you know, 16 or so, 16 to 20 points consistently and is shooting at the clip he is, I, you know – regardless of how the bench performs, they're going to be in every game if that's the case. Now, yeah, oh, by the way, all we're asking is for Brooke Lopez as your third option to play like a two. But still, it shows you what they're capable of doing, and I think it is very much the biggest adjustment or at least concerted effort that's been made by this coaching staff since they arrived in Orlando is changing this up and making uh, Brooke much more focal in the offense because of all of that. And, you know, I guess game one was just uh, – for Brooke to have the game that he did, and then obviously nobody really played well, and for Chris as well, certainly a shock to the system here. But it feels like, by and large, 
we've seen the same guy that, you know, there's that game and one other game in the seeding games where Brooke wasn't great. But otherwise, uh, we spent all this time during the regular season talking about how, you know, Brooke's defense is great and everything he does defensively to anchor the team. And that's still there. But we haven't really mentioned it since we arrived in Orlando here that all the talk has been, man, if Brooke can keep this up and, whoa, you see Brooke shooting 40% on threes <laughs> that we soon forget just how good he was defensively. But, you know, honestly, having another guy like Giannis, for as good as Brooke is, and let's not undersell his defense, but for having Giannis there as well and Eric Bledsoe, maybe the offense is going to be more important here, that if Brooke Lopez can be that consistent guy where – you know, on a night when Chris struggles, you know you have Chris and Giannis, or excuse me, you have Brooke and Giannis, where Brooke can give you 20 points. And even on a night when Chris has it, and you have all three guys going, which we've seen, you know, a couple of times in the bubble here, that regardless of the opponent, if all three of those guys are on, the Bucks, in all likelihood, are not going to lose that game. All right, Justin, we're going to try and wrap this podcast up in the next 10, 15 minutes here, because i got to get out for an afternoon run. It's literally been raining for the last four days straight here. It's been cold. I was about to say freezing cold. I won't go that far. But before I do, I might try a Built Bar. Everyone knows about our friends over at Built Bar. And I, I have to say, someone messaged me the other day asking what the bars were called. So let me spell this for you. B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R. Built Bar. They have 18 amazing flavors, six new ones, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, Lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They're great for the health-conscious guy, lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for those on the keto diet as well. We have a great deal that we've been running for a while here. Make sure you cash in on this one. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. That's not your first order. That's your next order. $10 off your next order. Remember to cash in on that. And while supplies last, the free cooler is still there with your purchase over at BuiltBar.com. Brooke Lopez at 37.5% from three uh, so far through three games. And that includes, obviously, a stinker in game one where he didn't knock one down. Eric Bledsoe is the fourth banana there. I just quickly want to touch on him. I, I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I thought to myself during game two when he was playing that aggressive defensive style that that was the game where he went on that 8-0 run in the second quarter as well. I, I do think the more aggressive Eric Bledsoe is on defense, it just gets him in that mindset offensively as well. He's only playing 26 minutes per game so far through three, which is we're going to get to the rotation in just a little bit here. That's kind of standard for him. But he's averaging 14 points and 6.7 assists. Yes, he's really struggled from three. There's no doubt about that. On two-point attempts, he's well above 50%. Uh, he's been getting to the free-throw line a little bit as well, three attempts per game. He's not a huge free-throw guy. Uh, he's more He picks up those and ones from time to time. But I've liked the aggressiveness from Bledsoe. And again, I, I tweeted it the other day. I, when I said that this is the Bucks barometer, uh, it, I know it scares a lot of people, but I really think energy-wise he is, and we saw that in game two uh, with the energy he brought defensively. So Eric Bledsoe uh, has had a nice little bounce back, I feel, as well in game two and game three. Let's go to the rotation a little bit here. I've got the sheet up here, which is telling me the minutes per game. It's unbelievable to see 10 players playing at least 13 minutes per game 
And normally when you look at the Bucks stats like that, you have to take into account blowout wins and blowout games where the starters may sit or there'll be different mm-hmm. kind of funny rotations. That hasn't been the case here. You've got Giannis, Chris, Brooke, Bled, Wesley Matthews, Pat Connaughton, and George Hill all playing over 20 minutes per game. And then Corver, Dante, and Marvin Williams are playing uh, just over 13 minutes each. Uh, there's been a lot of frustration around this. And I asked Bud about Dante prior to game three, just his overall performance, if he, feel like, if he feels like he's getting that confidence back, what he's seen from him so far in Disney. And he said, well, it's kind of a little bit difficult because, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said it's kind of a little bit difficult because, you know, we're sort of struggling to find room for him to play. We like him to be out there, but we've got so many guys that are important to the rotation and we want to play everyone. And I was kind of thinking about that. And, and yes, Dante has been an X factor, but surely it doesn't matter if, if someone doesn't get minutes, it's just stiff shit, right? I mean, play your best damn players the most you can and win the damn game. We're not trying to keep everyone happy here. I mean, what I've been most struck by other than the performance overall in game one is that rotation. And, you know, to the point you made that, it, look, it's, it's not because of blowouts that we're seeing these guys averaging six minutes that, you know, in games two and three, and I think it was the same in game one too, but, in, in games two and three, there were already 10 guys that had entered the game in the first quarter. And, you know, I remember in game two, it was as soon as the second quarter started, Kyle Corver checked in and we were up to 11. That, you know, I get saying I want to get these guys some minutes because who knows, we may need to use them. But that's, you know, that's for the third and fourth quarter when you build up that lead against the magic and make sure the game is at hand first. And that's when you do that, that I guess if I had to nitpick and critique anything here, it's been the overall approach to the minutes in the bubble that, and and look, to be clear for this next point, it isn't exclusive to bud and the Bucks that we've seen a lot of teams treated a way that I guess has kind of confused me where you had five months off you would think you would want to get your top guys as many reps as possible and approach these games, these eight seeding games with a different mindset than we saw uh, certainly from the Bucs. And I understand them wanting to stay healthy and especially look, it, it probably delivered the, it dealt them a big blow to be without Pat Connaughton and Eric Bledsoe initially. And then of course the last week a, a wrench was thrown into all the plans with what happened with Giannis in all three of those games. Uh, but still, the approach by the Bucks and a lot of teams in this bubble has kind of surprised me with how you haven't basically treated them as playoff games and said, let's trim down our rotations now and let's, you know, get our best guys out there for the bulk of the minutes and get them the minutes and get them up to speed. And it's most surprising to me that the Bucks are one of the few teams that it seems to have carried over into the postseason where we're seeing these minutes for guys that, you know, we talked about this a week or so ago, I think you and I, where it just seems like it's pretty clear from the minute totals who the eight man rotation is. And I think it it kind of goes back and forth depending on the game between Dante and Pat Connaughton, that that's the eighth guy there where Marvin Williams and George are the top two. But I got to be honest, it's, it's been very strange especially early in these games against the Magic, to see Robin Lopez as early as we've seen him. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of people have pointed out too is, you know, regular season you can do some of the things that we saw where we see the all-bench units. But even against a team like the Orlando Magic, we're in the postseason now. 
that that continues to surprise me a little bit when we see the five-man bench groupings. And, you know, we didn't see as much of it as we saw in game one. So that's another one of the minor adjustments that Bud has made. But the minutes that you have where neither Giannis nor Chris Middleton is on the floor, those, you know, once you get to a series against the Heat, a team like that, and whether it's the Raptors or Celtics, assuming they can get that far to the conference finals and eventually finals, those minutes have to be gone. That you can't continue to play with fire like that and say, we're basically punting these minutes. As good as the bench is and has been, you still need one of those guys on the floor at all times. <clears throat> I think the one player that's really fascinating, and I, I wanted to look at his numbers to to try and confirm this and see what kind of role he's going to play is Marvin Williams. Now, we know his minutes were a little bit affected in game three, and he played six minutes because uh, he got thrown out, which, by the way, uh, the, pool, the pool report, again, I don't have this in front of me, so I'm just going off basically what it said. They said that it was a fighting foul, which is an automatic yes. ejection. And the reason this happened was because they needed other people to come in and de-escalate the situation. Yeah. According to Laurie Nickel, uh, she tweeted this out. Uh, Marvin said, I don't know what kind of pushing match doesn't need de-escalation. Yeah. Like it's, it's, just, it's just what happens. He's like, yeah, it makes, so, yeah go on. Well, so yeah, Marvin was one of the guys available today and uh, <laughs> all of his questions, go figure, were about that. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. I mean, he brought up of uh, what fight, doesn't need time to do like what fight de-escalates on its own that of course guys need to come in and uh, separate that us he was also very upset that he said um you know that was what the pool reporter got after the game that marvin said you know what was the most frustrating is we weren't told why we were ejected all we were told was we were ejected we were given no reasoning from the officials and basically um (laughs) said it wasn't his fault that you know this is something that had been a building between he and Ennis that on a few possessions prior, he felt that Ennis was getting a little too physical and elbowing him. So he had basically had enough. That it was basically Giannis and Mo Wagner again, and basically told him, look, you're not going to push me around that, that that's enough of this. And uh, I forget who it was, but somebody had asked him, you know, have you, have you talked with uh, James Ennis since then? And have you guys sorted things out, cooled off here? And <laughs> Uh, no, I haven't. T- I, I I didn't talk to him before this. Why would I talk to him now? Was the response from Marvin Williams. <clears throat> so he's on and off court numbers defensively, and this is where it's interesting because you know we see him as a guy that you might be able to play in vital fourth quarter minutes. Certainly in different situations with different matchups, the Bucks might see down the line. He's on off rating so far. He's played 40 minutes, and in those 40 minutes, the defensive rating for the team is 72.5, which is clearly pretty damn impressive for a net rating of 21.8. The offense hasn't been great, if you can do the math in your head there. When he's off the court, uh, the defensive rating, and we know they've had some struggles, and certainly game one in particular affected these numbers a lot because it is a small sample size. Uh, 112.6 net rating of 0.5 when he's off. So Marvin, I, I think, is stacking up defensively for what we expected when he came in here. And again, I think this is kind of interesting when you look at how the rotation is going to shape out then. Obviously, you have the starters and then the guys outside the starters minute-wise, Pat Connaughton and George Hill lead the way with plus 20. I think they're locked into the rotation. Corva seems to be more of a situational guy, but I think they like him with Giannis. They tried the old 
it was kind of a variation on the old Tony Snell play in game three where Corver was able to knock down a three. So I think Corver's going to be a guy that's always going to play. And then I think Marvin is that eighth guy. And then the question mark will be with Dante. And maybe that's your nine. We've seen very little of Robin Lopez so far. But, you know, Marvin for mine, like I said, the suspension, or sorry, the ejection affected his minutes a little bit there. But what we're seeing defensively, what the numbers are telling us, and at times we saw him actually defend Vucevic ahead of Robin Lopez, I think it's trending towards the direction where we're not going to see a lot of Robin and those Marvin Williams small ball with him at the five next to Giannis that we were really excited about. I think that's panning out the way we thought it might. Yeah, and uh, I mean... This isn't a good series for Robin. I don't think that yeah. you know Vucevic isn't a good matchup for him. And you know the other funny thing is, um, when Robin Lopez, when the signing was made, we thought it you know great for a number of reasons. It gives you the depth there. And you think back to last year where you know Urson was basically the backup center that you had. So now you finally had an actual backup center, but. We all pointed to Philadelphia and said, well, this is for It was the conference Embiid. finals. It was the conference finals <laughs> matchup with Joel and Bates. This is for Embiid and Horford. So, you know, now you think to what's out there in the East, in, in the playoffs in general, I guess. And really, the Marvin – or excuse, the uh, Robin Lopez series would be, I guess, Toronto if you run into foul trouble with uh, Gasol. And uh, if you get to the finals with the Lakers, that those are the two that would stand out and say, okay, this is where I could see – uh, Robin Lopez coming in the mix and you know with Marvin it's you know it gives you the versatility that uh, you have had to some extent with Urson, but obviously a much different version and more athletic version there and you know, you point to the defensive rating that we see in some of those and Giannis talked about this after the game too with some of the other lineups that we saw whether it's Giannis with Marvin Williams and one of those two guys is playing the five or the minutes where we saw Giannis at the five, which I think everybody's kind of salivating over and waiting to see. Um, and, and what it does for not only the defense, but the offense to have Giannis and surround him with the shooters. I, I just, you know, wonder, and it's tough to gauge what we will see going forward based on how these rotations have been used in this series. But I, I just wonder what we're going to see moving forward because all those things you mentioned and what we just said of potential matchups, it screams that we're going to start to see this pared down a lot more and we're going to move closer to seeing just eight or nine guys once you get to the second uh, round and potentially conference finals and finals. But I mean, I guess that's the thing that we've seen for the last year and a half year with Bud that you, you think you know something, but you don't really know until you see it play out on the floor. No doubt about it. And I think the important point that you've made a couple of times through all this is that in general, this series, I don't think should be one that we should take a lot away from. It is interesting to see the Miami and Indiana series pan out. Today, they actually released the schedule for the Boston-Toronto series, which starts on Thursday. So as we sort of hinted to last week, they're not going to mess around at all with getting the second round series underway. So Miami probably, I mean, they're going to be waiting at least a few days. I mean, I'm projecting that they're going to win game four. I, I don't think Indiana are going to get over the top of them and extend I mean, they series. could be waiting potentially a week. Cause, so the interesting thing is, uh, do you think – now, I almost wondered if they would just go with uh, Sunday to start the Bucks and Heat series at first, but then you wonder, well, are they really going to have – the Celtics and Raptors play two games before 
the Bucks Heat, assuming that's what we get, the Bucks Heat series would tip off one game. So uh, it's potential that Miami could have close to a week off and the Bucks would only have a couple of days off. Otherwise, you know, it, it could be a day off for the Bucks, and this series starts on Friday. Well, ultimately, uh, yeah, ultimately it depends on what happens through these final two games. I mean, we hope the Bucks finish off with game four and game five and their series is done on Wednesday. In that instance, yeah, I'm guessing that the, game, uh, that the second round is going to start on Friday, and if not Friday, certainly Saturday. That's if the Bucks win in five. So obviously, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much here, but it, it is worth noting that get ready because this next series is going to get underway straight away, and we really just hope that, uh, that they aren't day games. So game five on Wednesday is at 3 p.m. Central Time tomorrow, or today probably as you're listening to this, game four is starting at 12.30 p.m. Central Time. It's an absolute disgrace. I really feel sorry for the Bucks fans over there. I know a bunch of them. I tweeted about it. A bunch of them reached out to me and said they haven't even been able to watch a game yet which is just incredibly disappointing uh, for NBA fans out there. So we hope there's no more day games uh, so you guys can catch all these, uh, Justin. But uh, I think at this point, I mean, we're just hoping for more of the same. We've spoke about it. The Magic don't have the weapons that should be able to hurt this Bucks team. Defensively, they should have too much for the Magic to handle, and we hope they just continue to roll on. As far as the injury report goes, Aaron Gordon, again, questionable. The latest report that I have seen, and Michael Carter-Williams, they've not even bothered anymore. He's out. So he's not going to be playing in game four. But we just want to see them keep rolling. Well, I, I have two questions for you. So you go back to game one, and we saw the performance, and we saw, again, that it was basically, if you simulated 100 games between the Bucks and the Magic, you would get that outcome what, like four times, maybe five times, where the Magic just hit shots at the percentage they did and play as well as they did and the Bucks play as poorly as they did, that that was certainly as close to an outlier as you're going to get in this series. Um, but my first is, so how much of it do you think is the Bucks were caught a little off guard in that you mentioned the Aaron Gordon injury, you mentioned that Michael Carter-Williams was out, that it, you know, Granted, Vooch was the primary guy that got things going, but, you know, this was a somewhat different Magic team than we saw throughout the regular season where it was basically all shooters on the floor. And you didn't have Aaron Gordon and you didn't have Michael Carter-Williams to account for. And uh, it was a little bit of a different look. So how much of that, number one, do you think was – we also have to factor in, you know, everything the Bucks prepared for was somewhat gone. And this was a different look for the Magic and the team we had seen throughout this season. And the other thing is, you know, everybody will point to, well, we've said all along the three-point shooting and bigs that can stretch the Bucks. These are going to be the big problems that they run into. And it just took one game in the playoffs for it to happen. Well, as you survey the East, what's the other matchup like this that they're going to run into with a big man like that? I mean, maybe. Uh, if you run into Toronto again with Marcus Gasol to a lesser extent, but otherwise, yeah, it's still a problem area for this Bucks defense. But I mean, it's worth pointing out they may not have to deal with something like this again for the rest of the playoffs. Certainly, three point shooting overall, but that big that can stretch them out, they may not see again. Yeah, I honestly, I'm not giving them too much of a pass. I know that they, only they know the answer to this, and they'll be able to say whether this is truly the case. Or they'll know inside. They didn't publicly give it away, but I just think they walked in with the wrong attitude. They'd played a bunch of games where the result didn't matter. I think they thought they could sleepwalk through the series. So regardless of adjustments, regardless of who was on the floor, I think it was all 
attitude coming in there. And I, I don't even necessarily mean that it, that they were arrogant coming in. Like this is something right. that sometimes you can't control. I mean, you just think that this is the way it's going to happen. So I do think for everything we saw, particularly defensively through the seeding games, I do think they needed a wake-up call. And I, I think yeah. that they needed that that shocking loss. And, and that was it. And I, I will say that I am, as someone that tries to look at things glass half full, I'm very happy that this happened in this series. And hopefully that's the wake-up call they need. And, and last year, they got it in the first game of the second round. But I don't think the Bucks want to give up a lead to the Miami Heat or any team uh, moving right. forward. It's going to be a different ball game. You're not going to have that time to sit back and say, wow, we just got slapped in the face. Let's wake up. So uh, I think it was a good thing that they got it early. Yeah, and, and look, I, I agree with uh, the overall point that you made. And I'm, I'm not saying that the reason why they no, lost sure, is yeah. because, yeah. Uh, but I agree that, you know, it, game one had all the – marks of uh, they you know I think it was clear they thought all we have to do is go on one run and the magical quit and they didn't now I still think a lot has been made and maybe too much has been made about the environment and home court because look it's not exclusive to the Bucks and every team is dealing with this but you do wonder uh, when the Bucks got it down to just one early in the third quarter in game one if that game was played in Fiserv Forum it probably is a win for the Bucks that with the crowd and everything else, they do probably take the magic out of it. But as we said, it's, it's not just the Bucks dealing with this. So, you know, you had nine games that at that point, you got to get used to this environment and not having any fans. And, and hopefully, you know, it's something that continues to grow and it seems like it has, but I, I agree that the, I would much rather get that wake up call game one against the magic than game one against the heat. Lock down the paint. Reduce the fouling that we saw in game two and you probably win the game again pretty easily. That's the formula for the Bucks. 12.30 p.m. tip of Central Time for those of you over there in the U.S. Justin, you're doing great stuff down at Fiserv Forum. I uh, saw a nice little video about the way you guys are broadcasting the other day. That was fun to see. We'll hear your voice during that game, after that game. Make sure you do check out. One of my favorite things to do is to listen to the, the little audio clips they have at the end of the game. Justin's the host, Ted Davis, all his best calls throughout the game. Check that out. Support Justin and that crew. Justin, appreciate it. Anytime. We'll be back after game four. Frank, I'm going to drag him back onto the podcast again to dissect, hopefully, another Bucks win. In the meantime, stay safe, and we'll speak to you guys then. 